danger is stealing in as relapse hums above the den. It's hard to know if this will be the Hello and welcome to episode 320 of the Thinking Poker Podcast from Owings Mills, Maryland. I'm Andrew Brokus. I will soon be joined by Nate Mavis in Melrose, Massachusetts, and Dave Denholm in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, despite being in Cleveland, Dave is in fact the announcer for the Los Angeles Football Club, so we'll be talking to him a good deal about uh, sports, but soccer in particular. Um, needless to say, Dave is also uh, an avid poker player, so we'll be talking some about the relationship between the two and also you know, some of his thoughts as a professional announcer and, and broadcaster on the um, well, the state of poker commentary, you know, what, what he likes about it, what he thinks could be improved, etc. cetera. Uh, needless to say, because Dave is a radio personality, um, he is very charismatic and entertaining. This was a fun interview for us, and I hope that you will enjoy it as well. I also hope that you all are staying safe and keeping your sanity, keeping your distance from each other. Uh, I know that Nate and I are. Um, hopefully the upside of this will be we can uh, bring you content more consistently. Um, I know I've not been to a poker room in weeks and probably will not be to one in weeks. Uh, it's been a lot easier to line up guests of late, so um, hopefully we can continue to provide a little bit of a bright spot for you if you are finding yourself bored or with time on your hands. Before I get to today's strategy segment, couple of announcements for you. The first, I mentioned on last week's episode that I was working on a large print edition of Play Optimal Poker. That should be available by the time you hear this. Uh, as of the time of recording, literally just a few hours ago, I received the proof. There's one or two things that I'll need to um, correct, just little formatting things, but that should take me less than a day to do. So uh, by the time this airs, it should be available. It'll be exclusive to Amazon. There's no other place to get the large print edition of the book. If you want the uh, Kindle edition or you want the regular edition of the book, those are also available at Amazon. Um, ebook editions are uh, also available at Nate and My uh, Store which is www.nitcast.com. But for the large print edition, I'll put a link in the show notes, or of course you can just search Amazon or search Google for uh, Play Optimal Poker large print edition. It is uh, a tome of a book. Right? Uh, when you make the font size bigger, then uh, you have to add a lot more pages to your book. So it is, a, it, is, it is a weighty tome. I'm not gonna be charging anything more for it than I will the regular version of the book. So no need to worry about that. Uh, it was a fun process. I talked a little bit about that on the previous episode. So I guess I won't bore you with it again, but um, it's neat. <clears throat> I'm, I'm glad that it's out there. I hope that it will be useful to some of you. Um, I've had a lot of people ask me about doing an audiobook edition. Uh, 
it's unlikely. I just don't think the book is going to translate very well to audio. There's a lot of material that's presented graphically, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm just concerned about how well that's going to translate into audio. I have looked into it a little bit. Uh, I know, obviously, like we have a lot of people, uh, people who know me from the podcast, probably uh, have a disproportionate interest in in audio. And I'm sorry that I'm not able to make it available to you in that format. Uh, there's plenty of other audio strategy from us that's available at knitcast.com. You can get our Weekend Warrior podcasts, uh, the most recent thing, the Coaching Carlos podcast, the Single Table Tournaments podcast. Uh, Nate and I did a podcast on tournament strategy a few years ago. So there is lots of uh, audio strategy content available from us. If you're looking for more strategy content, two great show sponsors to recommend to you. Both of these are sites that I legitimately use and recommend. Um, the first is Learn Pro Poker. This comes from former podcast guest Ryan LaPlante. He is an exceptional uh, tournament poker player. I would say that his sort of like philosophical approach is pretty similar to mine in terms of you know, how he thinks about uh, game theory versus exploitative play. But uh, what that ends up looking like in practice, Ryan plays a pretty unique style. Um, so even if you're familiar with other poker or tournament training materials, um, you still might find it interesting to see what Ryan's uh, doing and how he's having success with it. I certainly have. You can sign up there. They have uh, a free course. And then, of course, there's more material available there as well. And to sign up for that, please go to thinkingpoker.net slash LPP. That's LPP for Learn Pro Poker. Thinkingpoker.net slash LPP. The other one, which is new for this week, is Range Trainer Pro. This also comes from a former podcast guest, K.L. Cleeton. Uh, there's actually even a little bit of integration uh, between the two. But um, so Range Trainer Pro is a little bit like Snapshove uh, in that it kind of is like a... Um, a way for you to drill on your preflop ranges. So you can define preflop ranges. They have some that are available for purchase if you want to get uh, solved ranges, or you can define your own ranges, like what you want your ranges to be in a certain situation, and then it'll just present you with the spot. So that, you know this is like an app that you can do on your um, on your phone or on your computer, and uh, it, it'll present you with a, a spot, and then you know you choose what to do with the hand in that spot. It's a great way to get into your like working memory um, into your unconscious competence, things that really should be there. So, um, so I think that's another great tool that's available for you. And uh, to sign up for that, thinkingpoker.net slash RTP for Range Trainer Pro, thinkingpoker.net slash RTP. All right, let's go talk to Nate and Dave Denholm. So um, you are an uh, announcer, commentator. What's what's the preferred terminology? Yeah, I do play-by-play -play on the radio for LAFC. Meaning Los Angeles Football Club? Yes, exactly. One of the newer teams. Not the newest, but one of the newer teams in MLS. This will be our third season once we get back going again. Nice. And was, is soccer uh, the thing you would 
ideally be be commentating or is that uh, the one that was available uh it's my favorite sport so it's really the one i would choose obviously nice. if i had to i have done some other sports along the way in my career but yeah i love soccer uh, i've been a diehard fan for uh, over 20 some years so just kind of always a sports fan but then got into soccer a little bit later and it kind of have made it my career thankfully mm-hmm. what what captured you about soccer that's a great question, actually. Uh, I love, Andrew, I've always loved sports, grew up you know, following sports. My dad was a diehard Cleveland Browns, Cleveland Indians, Cleveland Cavaliers, you know, the list goes on. So I've always loved sports, but what really captivated, captivated me about soccer is, it, honestly, it's just the simplest game, you know? And, and obviously, I, I followed the other sports. I love them for various, you know, myriad reasons individually, but... It's just such a simple, beautiful game. And I know that term gets thrown around a lot, the beautiful game, and it's kind of become a cliche. But it really is that to me. When I see a great play in soccer, it just, honestly, it, it just moves me. I know that sounds corny, but, you know, as much as a home run in the bottom of the ninth, you know, with two outs and how we always used to play as kids in the backyard, maybe hitting that last second shot to win the NBA championship, but if you know, if I see a beautiful goal and I get a chance to call one, especially now, now that I'm doing it you know, professionally, it's there's nothing like it for me. Uh, and play by play, I mean, before you were doing not only that but also sort of weekly commentary and other things. Like, what, what's it like to be focused on play by play these days? Yeah, it, it, it's uh, a lot different, but uh, I'm certainly enjoying it. I do have a little more free time, uh, you know, because the season kind of runs basically normal season will run you know training camp starts around january i'll i'll kind of keep an eye on the team start getting involved and you know just hanging around seeing how practices are going first game is usually around the beginning of march and the playoffs depending on how deep you go will go no farther than like november early november so it's a long season but i'm not used to having three months off after the season you know like i doing sports talk radio or working in radio for a long time. You're doing, you know, basically Monday through Friday, you have a show three, four hours, you're working another three or four hours off the air at least. So it's basically five, generally speaking, depending on what shift you're working. Uh, it might be varying a little bit if you're doing morning radio or say later nights, but yeah, I'm not, I'm, I'm not quite used to the three months off, but it's been great. Uh, my wife and I happen to have our first child 16 months ago. So congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. And it just worked out that as soon as my first season was over, my wife was about to give birth like a few weeks later. So I had that whole, you know, three months off to kind of hang out with our, you know, my wife and her new baby. And then once, once that kind of got, we got through that time and I went back and back to work and honestly, it's a lot different schedule, but uh, I really love it. it. It does afford me more free time and especially at a time when she's this young and just kind of being with her a lot. Yeah. Yeah. My, my, my kid's now like 32 months old. So I think of, I think of people in your spot and it's like, Oh, that was so long ago. I know everything about that. (laughs) And then I see a four year, then I see a four year old and it's like, Oh man, that kid can like that. Oh man. I don't know what that's going to be like. And it seems possibly far. I've tempted to email you some questions, Nate, along the way. Anytime, anytime, anytime. Please, I know you please, have please. been open about that with people, so I, I almost did a few times. I'm not going to lie. Anytime. You don't don't even have to email. You got my number. You got my number. It's uh, This is hard. We're, we're, we're all in this together. No, never, never hesitate. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, 
so on play by play, there's like the the macro schedule thing that that you just talked about, but also just as a matter of craft. Like I think we both love sports. You listen to some people and you say, oh, that person was born to do play by play, or that person was born to do color. Um, and and, and there they can be different skills. And of course, sure. there are people that are that are great at both. But uh, like, what goes into like do you, do you view play by play as as your ideal role, and or what goes into preparing you know that specific skill set? Sure, I, I do I do view it as my ideal role. I think I, I started out doing play by play kind of in a weird situation. I went to a, a high school at that time. Uh, my family had moved from Cleveland. My father had been transferred. He worked at General Motors for 35, 40 years, whatever it was. And we had been transferred about an hour and a half south of Cleveland to another town, kind of between Cleveland and Columbus, called Mansfield, Ohio. And at my high school there, these were the high school years, they had a radio station that was run by the school, which is pretty rare back in you know late 80s to have a high school that actually had their own radio station. So I kind of just started spinning records there at the time wasn't even big into music. I was more into sports, and uh, but I knew that they had done play-by-play for our, all of our high school basketball there on the radio station. So I somehow was able to just kind of talk my way into doing play-by-play in my junior and senior years. And what that did is it, it obviously afforded me a chance to you know try to learn how to do it at a very young age, relatively 16, 17 years old. And you know I really liked it. And what that also did is it gave me a chance going into college as a freshman to kind of be a little bit ahead of maybe some people that way because I, not a lot of people work in radio when they're 16. So that opened up the door to do some television basketball games for our, our college station, you know, all just obviously not professionally, but, and, but I was a freshman. So I got a lot of reps, which is crucial. You know, as we know as everybody talks about, you got to get reps in sports and, and I got a lot of reps and basically just took it from there. I kind of got sidetracked away from play-by-play since I got into sports talk radio. But I always knew that I would love to get that opportunity again. Now, obviously, easier said than done. But, you know, just being the diehard soccer fan that I was and the new team came along just a few years ago. They were putting this together and I saw that it was a first-class organization and we started talking and it just happened. But, yeah, I think... Nate, play-by-play is definitely where my heart is at, and especially now that I've done it for now a couple, just a few seasons, I really love it. This is my third season with LAFC, as I mentioned. What goes into it? You know, it's honestly, it's it's just a lot of prep. You know, you have a two-hour game in soccer. One of the other reasons that I love it, Andrew, is that you know the game's over in two hours. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> it's as crazy as that sounds, we all have you know small, smaller attention spans as we get older, and. I love the beautiful game because you got 45 minutes in the first half, 45 minutes in the second half. You got a little pregame, you got a little postgame. I'm done in three hours total, you know. So, but the prep is what I really love as well because you know you're. I follow the league. I've always been a big fan of MLS since it started. That's kind of what really got me into soccer, is the fact that a professional league came to the United States after the World Cup in '94, and then MLS starting just a few years later. So I've been a diehard fan of the league since day one. And I followed it all the way. So I've kind of seen the growth of it. And the fact that I'm now able to do it, I, I do have a little bit of a base of history for my preparation. But yeah, Nate, it's a lot of just getting in there and digging in. The internet is a beautiful thing, as we all know. I mean, it's changed a lot of industries. It certainly changed mine. So I do a lot of research um, leading up to like not too far in advance. A couple days before the game, I'll start really digging in the opponents and putting my, you know, we call them these boards. You know, you basically just thick paper i use like a 
super thick paper, really heavy. Um, and that's like my board for each team. And I'll write out notes and just fill up the page. It's, it kind of looks weird if it's, you know, not your handwriting or if it's <laughs> not used to looking at it. But it's all my notes. And I take, you know, a couple of days to study the team that we're playing against. Obviously, I have enough of a base with LAFC that I don't have to study them quite as dramatically each game. But I make sure I update my stats and do all that, talk with the players, go get coaches' interviews. So it's generally you really start if it's let's for instance a Saturday night game at seven thirty, I'll start really going at it around Thursday, and then you know we have our pregame at seven p.m. kickoff let's say at seven thirty you're done by about ten o'clock but I mean it's a workout guys I never yeah. I I have what doctors might call a bit of a weight problem so occasionally I get a little balloon up a little bit I happen <laughs> to love food but I get my workout in just uh, we don't sit down I stand up I don't have a partner I do it by myself so. Once kickoff goes, you know, it's like hardcore, you know, and it just and you get a little break at halftime to kind of catch your breath, and then you go right back at it for the second 45. So I would say it's really, you know, as in most things, and you try to do them well, it's two hours, two and a half hours of the job, but you're putting in 15, 20, 30 hours leading up to it, you know, a few days before. Yeah, yeah I, I wanted to ask you about that, and like when you mentioned uh, attention span, I, I'm, I'm, I guess, speculating a little bit because, uh, as some people know, I'm not really known as the, the sports guy on this show. But um, I mean, I would think that that uh, play-by-play would require really intense focus in a way that even doing like color commentary would not. Like that, you really need to be, you know, kind of actively engaged in in uh, every instant mm-hmm. of an extended, you know, a, a half is what twenty-some minutes. Um, so. But, you know, like when we're so used to watching like 15 second videos of things to kind of stay engaged in one thing for for that long. Uh, Am I off base there? Well, no, not not to a certain degree Um, in radio, like in television. Certainly, it's all been taken over by replay. And I'm not talking about like changing calls, instant replay. I just mean virtually every sport. It's really about the analyst. You know, because he's looking at the replays and going at it, you know, and describing what really has happened. The play-by-play guy kind of drives the train. And there's a lot of great men and women who do that. And it's a whole different skill, frankly, than obviously being the analyst or being the color commentator. Uh, I don't happen to work with one in soccer. And doing radio, obviously, is a whole different animal, too, because I'm trying to really just paint the picture from minute one. And, you know, from the first kick, I've got to paint a picture there that makes sure that everybody knows the score as much as possible because you know people forget not everybody of course in this day and age not everybody listens from minute one to the end you know <laughs> right, in a yeah. sporting event so i gotta make sure i'm updating things so constantly in fact my producer is always telling me you've got to you've got to say the score so often that you're tired of hearing it yourself you're, <laughs> you know you're saying it a lot obviously but you've got to keep and baseball baseball announcers do that too there's a great story of the great legendary baseball announcer john miller who's one of my favorites and he would bring one of those little, uh, you know, just the timers, like the, you know, the hourglass, very small one. And he would flip it over, almost like the ones you get in like a little board game, let's say. Yeah. And every time it ran out, he would tell the score. So, <laughs> and then just flip it over again. So no matter how often, you know, I, I don't quite do that, but, you know, it's, it's little things like that, Andrew, where you're just painting the picture. Painting the picture really, because people are driving around, they don't, you know, maybe listening in their car or they're listening at home. Maybe, you know, we have a lot of people who are blind that listen, obviously, to radio for baseball, for all sports, soccer included. You're just trying to paint the picture. So it is a whole different, you know, animal compared to a- analyzing something 
most of the time, certainly in some radio sports, you have a little more time, a little more breathability, if you will, because baseball, there's a lot, plenty of time. So an analyst is crucial. I try to give a little bit of that because I don't have an analyst sitting there with me. But with soccer, it is it does move kind of fast. Those 45-minute halves just fly by. So I do try to give a little bit of the color commentary as well. But, yeah, it is a whole different beast. I, I do believe – I don't just say this because I'm a play-by-play guy to be kind or something. I do think it is a tougher job to be a, a color commentator. <laughs> I think you're right you know, about that. Like, There's definitely a lot, a lot more that goes into it in a certain sense. Oh, well, I, I, I meant to imply, well, I don't know about tougher, but I mean, I, I meant to imply that it, it seemed like play-by-play might require closer engagement, like that the, the color person might be able to like let their attention lapse for, for a second and come back into it, whereas you you know really need to be on top of like everything that's happening in every second. Yeah, I guess, I don't know the actual terms. This is going to be a dumb analogy, but I'm going to go with it, guys. Uh, let's say we're, uh, let's say we're the Harvard crew, right? Harvard crew team or whatever. I'm the dude in the front as play-by-play yelling at you and Nate to row. You know, so that's I'm kind of not steering the ship, but I'm kind of telling you, row, you know, keeping you in line, if you will. As yeah. a play by play person, you're kind of just filling in all the key ingredients. What down is it? What's the score? Where are we at in the quarter? Where are we at in the game? What inning is it? And then the the you know, the color commentators really trying to drive home what's really happening between the lines, I think, you know, so there is. Obviously, it's very different. I can see what you mean. I mean, for some people, it's probably harder to do one. You know, maybe it's harder to do the play-by-play than it would be to be an analyst. I think for me, I'm just, I just love, you know, as you can tell, I love talking. I'm a sports talk radio host by trade, you know, so I kind of enjoy the role of play-by-play. I think I would enjoy it even much more than being an analyst. Not that anybody's ever going to ask me to do that. So, <laughs> but But you did have... And I think you still do have a sort of role as a, a public intellectual of the game. Like you're not just completely a nuts and bolts guy. You're 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 happy to tell, you know, the world on Twitter that you're a big fan of soccer. You're you're bullish on the future of American soccer. You're a champion of the MLS. You don't mm-hmm. like replay. You're you're uh you're not yeah. one of these. Like 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 you don't always just stick to the nuts and bolts of things. Yes. No, I that's true. And you know, I I think. That that is my sports talk radio background. Obviously, yeah. you have to have opinions. You got to back them up, right or wrong. You know, you just have to be entertaining with them as much as possible. You guys know that you're trying to entertain people with the podcast and do a great job of that. So, I, I do think that there is room for yes, I'm a play by play, you know, person for LAFC, and yes, I'm going to give you that on the nights of my game. But I also have opinions on what going what's going on in the sport that I love. You know, and in in all sports, really. Uh, I fired out a tweet that kind of got a little bit of a response the other day on the NFL. You know, it kind of just seemed, I don't know how you guys feel. This is, you know, in the in the midst of the COVID-19 stuff. Uh, we've got NFL players and it's free agency. And I understand it's their job, but they're firing off tweets like, oh, this player deserves $34 million, not $24 million <laughs> a year. That he, and I'm, you know, I fired up a tweet like, hey, guys, maybe a few less of those tweets while we're, millions of us are trying to figure out how we're going to pay our bills next week. You know, like it's. Yeah. I mean, you know, so I'm not afraid to speak up. I mean, you know, look, I'm, I love the game. I love MLS. I love soccer. I love all sports, you know, and if, if I see something, you know, I'll call it out if I have to. But I want to make sure, you know, we want to have fun with this. It is sport after all. Right. I mean, and I'm, I'm blessed to have a great job that I love. I mean, come on. We can't take it too seriously either, though. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So to to be bullish on uh, soccer in in America is that <laughs> a, a, is that a, a function of 
uh, demographics, or is he, that... He, he's uh, from Ohio. They're all like that. It's yeah. just, <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess part of it's, I actually, to the extent that I have like a background in sports, it is in soccer. Like I was a fairly serious soccer player when I was younger, and um, I used to have season tickets to the uh, the Baltimore Blast, which is oh, a uh, professional indoor soccer league in, in yeah. Baltimore. Um, and I mean, I was hearing when I was a kid in the eighties, like, oh yeah, soccer's really starting to get big in America pretty soon. Like, I feel like I've been hearing like it's sort of like the uh, PLO is the game of the future thing. Like, I feel like I've been hearing this for a yeah, long time. Exactly. Is, well, that's exactly. I don't know who said it, and I don't want to misquote someone, but the 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 famous quote is like, soccer is the sport of the future, and it always will be. So, <laughs> I've, I've heard Nate say literally the same thing about PLO. Yeah, I, and Nate, you may know who said that initially. It might have been Keith Olbermann. I don't want to, you know give somebody or or not give the right person credit i apologize but that is a great it's a great question and i laugh at that come on i mean it's funny. andrew it's funny you mentioned that though because growing up here in cleveland now we have a lot of soccer fans like people who uh, a lot of eastern european influence they're very big into soccer but when i grew up this is the 70s and you know kind of into the mid 80s going to college in the late 80s early 90s uh, we hated soccer for no reason. Like we didn't even know we were supposed <laughs> to like soccer, right? I mean, it was like this: oh, soccer, that's terrible. Nobody likes soccer, right? And I went off to college, and then once I got out of college, I found out the World Cup was coming in 1994, and that intrigued me. And then I found out because the World Cup was coming, we were going to have a professional league in 1996, and I love pro sports, obviously. And so it just got me really, that's really when I started following it. You were probably more into soccer before I was, Andrew. You know, I mean, I know you're younger than me by far. So, but um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was a later thing for me. But yeah, I mean, growing up, I never really, I was always at Indians games and, you know, Cavaliers games and the old Cleveland Crusaders hockey team and going to ball games with my dad. We didn't even think of soccer, quite frankly. I played it, you know, when I was like eighth grade or whatever, but like everybody else does. But didn't know anything about it. So yeah, it's just kind of, it is kind of weird that I caught on to it at such a, you know, kind of a more of a, you know, for sports generally, you're falling in love with sports generally as a kid, right? For the most part, mm-hmm. you know, give or take a little bit, but yeah, I mean, you know, very few people come to sports as, a, as an adult. Yeah. I mean, especially not as much, you know, maybe as passionate as I became about it. To be honest. <laughs> And, you know, but I used to, when I first showed up in LA, when I got the job in Los Angeles, I was doing, I was brought out there to do afternoon drive on a sports talk station. And I was mocked for loving soccer, even in Los Angeles, guys, which is now one of the biggest soccer markets in the world. But yeah, I I was openly mocked by people because I loved it, you know, but eh, whatever, you know, to each his own, you know, I don't really, I'm not out to try to change the world for it. I love the game. And if you don't, that's fine. So you speaking of being in los angeles like you're speaking to a bunch of audiences and like maybe even more than other sports so i'll just talk about boston if i think about the the median soccer listener in boston i picture one of a few different uh maybe demographics yeah and they're and they're very different and i would use very different cultural uh sort of touchstones (laughs) if i were to try to talk to each each of them um Mm -hmm. is that a particular challenge with soccer and if so how do you how do you deal with it it isn't in los angeles um after this many years i guess of talking about it because yeah i mean certainly the latino influence in los angeles is great and you know the latino love for soccer generally speaking is great though that's kind of you know you know overblown in a sense i mean there's plenty of latinos who don't love soccer but you know generally speaking they have a love for the game 
that uh, maybe surpasses middle America, if you will. So that's a great it's a great market for that. But you know, I got to tell you, it's it is a, a good question, Nate, because even at LAFC or LA Galaxy, of course, both teams in MLS, you go to those games, and I mean, it is everyone. Mm-hmm. Men, women, children, all ages, all ethnicities, all the backgrounds, it does not matter, you know, and it's just, and that is really a cool thing about LA. Obviously, we know it's a city that has a lot of diversity anyway, but it, it is shown in a crowd at those soccer matches for both teams, you know, on any given night when both teams are playing at home, there's 20, almost 50,000 people going to soccer matches. And I mean, it's just everyone across the mm-hmm. board, all ages and everybody, the whole, the whole scope of it. And it is, it's beautiful, mm-hmm. frankly, and everybody belongs, you know, and, and honestly, I mean, I'm getting older, but it, it's become a young man and women's game, you know, like it, there's a lot of younger men and women who love soccer, you know, and, and that's just a fact. I mean, even though I'm not in that demographic anymore, but you know, the younger generation has grown up with it. And they have grown up with it where it wasn't mocked for no reason, like we when we were maybe a little younger. So I, I think that's just it has become part of LA, you know. And, and and let's be honest too, there's a lot of people walking around that you see with jerseys from Mexican teams that they love and Central American teams that they love, you know. So the soccer culture is not just about LAFC and the LA Galaxy. It's so deep and and so passionate, you know, that that's why I say it's one of the best soccer markets in the world. I couldn't have picked a better city to end up in, although I didn't pick the city. I guess it picked me. But, yeah, I mean, it's just a great place if you love soccer. You know, it's a great place to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I once heard it said that the four most popular sports team in Los, teams in Los Angeles are the Lakers, the Lakers, the Lakers, and the Mexican national soccer team. Yeah. That's, <laughs> which, uh, that's great. I, I honestly, that's a, it's a variation of what I say, uh, which I think yours is funnier. Mine might be just as accurate though. It's the Lakers and then it's Chivas, which is a team from Guadalajara down mm-hmm. in Mexico. Those mm-hmm. are like one and one a, yeah, those are the two most popular sports teams. And then the Dodgers who are immensely popular, obviously, but yeah, I mean, it's literally, when LAFC just recently played an international game against Club León, who's from Mexico, and there was so many León jerseys in the stands, and it was such a great atmosphere, you know, because obviously LAFC wears their black jerseys, and León had this great, they have a great, like, green color, so both were just popping in the stands. You could see who was rooting for who, you know, and it just was an awesome atmosphere, but there's so many Mexican league fans in, in LA that just love soccer. And I mean, I'll be honest with you. They've been, they've treated me great. Uh, all soccer fans in LA have taken me under their wing. Cause you know, there's not a lot of us in general sports media, if you will, on the English speaking side. So, I mean, they've treated me very well. I must admit. Is there also a Spanish language play by play happening? Yes, we have a Spanish language radio uh, and television for LAFC locally as well. And those guys do a great job. There's a, a, a gentleman who's been doing it since day one, like me, you know, just for a few seasons now. He's a legend in the market for sports. You know, he's done a million things. But, yeah, they, they picked a great guy to do the, the uh, Spanish broadcast as well. Mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine you haven't seen this, the, the Simpsons gag with the um, the English and the Spanish language uh, commentators. <laughs> it's great. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, it's not that far off, sadly, for most of the time. I'll be, I'll be perfectly frank with you, but I do try to, uh, I do try to give a, a little bit of passion in my calls. I'm not going to lie. I'm not afraid to kind of <laughs> you know, go after it a little bit. Maybe, I don't think I can pull out, you know, it, it's funny you say that because 
that's one of the first questions I get from people who maybe don't live in LA and you know, maybe they meet me and then they're like, Oh, do you have your own goal call? Do you do the like goal? You know, like for like 45 seconds. Yeah. And I'm like, I cannot do that. There's no way I could pull that off. And why would I even try? That's like stealing to me. That is a, that is such a, a cultural thing that is so beautiful that I, I, I would not dare tread on that. Mm. Makes sense. Um, uh, on this show, we uh, occasionally talk about a card game called poker. Do you have any background in it? Do we? I'm not going to lie to you, fellas. I don't listen to you for your sports takes all the time. That's fine. <laughs> I want to listen to you guys for thinking poker, and that's a uh, yeah. I'm a I'm a huge fan of the game. Uh, you know, I I, I kind of remember playing it. You know, as a little kid. I, in fact, my first memories of poker games um, are around my my grandmother and grandfather's table on Easter and the whole family would sit around. And I mean, at this point we're probably, and they would let the kids play a certain games, you know, we're playing, you know, not, not, you know, dimes, nickels, quarters kind of thing. Uh, you know, everybody bring their change for the Easter Sunday after dinner. And we'd play, you know, uh, the usual follow the queen, do all the, you know, the seven card stud, five card draw, whatever. We didn't play, obviously there was no Texas Hold'em or anything like that, but we'd have, 15 people around the table trying to play games. We'd run out of cards every, you know, literally because it was kids were allowed to play too. And I think I was like seven or eight when I first learned these games. And, um, oh, I mean, just so much fun, you know, and certainly I, I got away from the game. I'm not going to lie. It wasn't, I, I was not part of the internet boom like everybody else. Um, I did not play much internet, but I still haven't really honestly played much internet poker. Um, I was, you know, got away from it, but I fell back in love with it in LA at a home game. And I got invited when I was, this is, gosh, this is almost 15, probably almost 20 years ago, but more like 15, 16 years ago, got invited to a great home game, really good group of guys at the time. It was just all gentlemen. And we kind of just kind of relearned the game together, like a core group of seven or eight. We played every Thursday for almost 15 years and, uh, you know, just I fell back in love with it. And that, of course, coincided with the moneymaker stuff. That's kind of why the game got started. Um, and I've, I've just dove right back in. I mean, I guess I kind of, I'm one of those guys, fellas, who doesn't think poker's a sport in any way, shape, or form. Sure. But I kind of dove into it like it is, if that makes sense, you know, in terms sure. of my love for it, you know. So it's like kind of, I'll be honest with you, it's, it's soccer, and then it's poker, and then it's the NFL and Major League, you know, and then all that. So... I'm right there. I, I just, I'm a diehard fan. Um, the, uh, the, the, the part of your constitution that likes soccer, the, the flow of it, the continuity of it, the, um, yeah. you know, it was said about, about Nolan and Hold'em that it's, uh, hours of boredom, boredom punctuated yeah. by moments of terror. Uh, you know, being, being an American soccer fan can feel, you know, <laughs> watching certain <laughs> games can feel like that sometimes like uh, on an aesthetic level. Do you think there's, there's something, there's a common root in, in your love of soccer and your love of poker? Yes, and I'll go back to the word that I use for soccer. It's beautiful. I know that sounds like really cheesy. I'm sorry. I'm not. I'm not just making this up. Poker is beautiful at times. Now, sometimes it's ugly and it's like you said, it's boring and it's you know lame or whatever. That's when you talk to your buddies at the home game, right? I mean, that's what it's all about. That's. I mean, I'll be honest. I don't think I would love poker as much had I not found the home game first. Sure. Kind of, sure. Sure. You know, really just, I mean, we became all, we all became best of friends, even outside of poker because of this, after playing for 15 years every week, 
obviously you're going to develop friendships. So yeah, when poker's kind of boring, even a night in a home game when it's, we're only playing literally 10 cent, 20 cent blinds, you know, hundred big blind buy-ins. I mean, we're not, nobody's making money really. Nobody's losing a ton, you know, mm-hmm. but man, it's just that camaraderie. And even that can be beautiful. I'll, I'll be honest with you. And I don't want to sound cheesy, but the game itself is beautiful Not when it's sure. played, at, you know, at a, at a great level, and when it's played at, at the highest levels, I mean, it is as beautiful as any other sport. Don't get me wrong. I, you know, obviously there's many differences, but yeah, the similarity is that. I mean, it really does. Uh, it just absolutely draws me in. You know, and I, like a, like a great sporting event would. Yeah. Uh, can you get into games that that I couldn't because you're a celebrity and I'm not? <laughs> Oh man, if they knew how bad I was, yes, probably. <laughs> um, no, they wouldn't let you in. Nick. Um, no, I, I'm. I'll be honest with you. I don't play at any kind of level in terms of money. You know, monetarily, I just it's all for entertainment for me. I do play a lot. You know, for the average person, I guess. Like I'll, you know, I play a lot of the tournaments in LA on the literally the two hundred dollar, the hundred dollar buy-in level. I think the most I ever paid, guys, was I'm such a nit, like the nit cash. Yeah, I'm perfect. <laughs> I paid three. I, I I bought into a three hundred and sixty dollar tournament at the bike once, and it was like my hand was shaking. Like, oh my gosh, this is like you know the WSOP main event. But but you know, like I mean, I I take it seriously though. You know, yeah, like I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. even at our home game, that was the beauty of it. You know, I'm a guy who I take it seriously, but I have a lot of fun. And we this is the best home game for that because I honestly it was great guys. We had a lot of fun, but we weren't messing around either. You know, everybody knew how to play. Everybody knew when it was their turn, you know, every night and everybody knows how to deal, you know, like it's just, you kind of, you know, there are a few guys who came in that were a lot of fun, but maybe just didn't want to stick around because we were maybe a little too serious, you know, quote unquote. So, yeah, I mean, I, I just love the game. I'm again, I'm, you're not going to find me buying into a $5,000 tournament ever. No chance. Um, I was hopeful to get out to the world series for the first time just to play a 500, you know, the big 50, I think is, uh, is the one early in the series. Obviously, uh, that may not happen, but um, so I've never been to the you know WSOP. I would love to go, but I follow it religiously. I'm on that WSOP.com every tournament. Andrew, I've loved the runs you've made in the in the main event. Like I live vicariously through you guys. You know, I mean, I know it sounds crazy, but I'm a big fan. You know, I mean, and I love when you got Andrew. Your blogs about the WSOP runs back in the day. I read them every year. I'm not gonna, you know, like like. Yeah, I mean, those were like, I don't know if you guys ever read those Bill Simmons kind of Vegas trips. Bill yeah. Simmons, a writer yeah. who yeah. came up through ESPN.com. Yeah. He started as the Boston sports guy, so I know. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Joe, Joe, yeah I, I could tell you a lot about Bill Simmons. Yeah, yeah. so like, those, he used to do, you know, blogs about his Vegas trips with his buddies. Now they were playing like, you know, blackjack and all that. But Andrew, I honestly, I was thinking about this earlier, like those blogs were just like, I was so into his blogs about Vegas and those guy trips. But your blogs were like just as captivating and dragging in to the main event. Yeah, I mean, you're a fantastic writer anyway, but I mean, and I don't say that lightly. It's just like those kind of things. I get into it. I mean, I, I watch poker go, you know, I like I want to follow the sport like or I want to follow the poker like I follow sports, you know, and just kind of try to know as much as I can about it. I guess that's my personality on some level. Like I really try to dig in, even though I'm not a great player by any means, but I've had fun. You know, I've played in some of those quantums at the bike. I don't know if you guys are familiar with those where on day one, you buy in for like 260 and you play till the final 5% make it to day two. When then the, the pros buy in for like 5,000, you know, so 
you're hoping to drag chips along the day too. But even even those, you know, I got into a Twitter discussion about that. Some one of the pros asked about those tournaments, and um, they were talking about how the rake was pretty, you know, pretty high for those for the 260. Like, why do you play them as a as a you know an amateur? You know, he was just being honest. And is it worth it then when the pros can then buy in for five thousand or whatever it is and have like seventy bigs and and I kind of tweeted back like. Yes, it's worth it. Yes, I know the rake is bad. That's not what I'm there, you know. I want to have a chance to maybe sit with the Jared Griner or Jesse Yags, you know, or some of these other pros that I've had a chance to play with on day two when I've been fortunate enough to get there. And it's all worth it. it yeah, certainly they're going to mop the floor with me probably, you know, 99 times out of 100. But, you know, I made some deep runs in a couple of those and it was the thrill of a lifetime to sit down and play with some pros, you know, and bust out of, you know, a pro or, you know, and then get busted out by a bro. The full experience. When Rupesh Potney looked through my soul and knocked me out when my, you know, I overplayed my pocket fives on a bad flop and he had pocket sevens and somehow called my all in. But anyway, I'm not bitter. It's just that <laughs> I've actually become friends with him because of that, you know. So it's like, yeah, I mean, uh, that's the kind of thing I love, you know. Even if I can, even if I can be a part of the game on the periphery as a fan only. I'm all in, you know, that's fine. Not to overuse a poker term there, I apologize, but I mean, I'm fans of the game. You know, I'm fans of you guys, you know, so I just, I love it that much. That's great. It's nice to hear that you can still be a fan of the game. You, you, you hear a lot these days that people have to like the game itself more because mm-hmm. uh, the players are less charismatic. Um, there's less coverage of them. The pros are not as interesting to follow and the game itself is so technically advanced that yeah. it, it, it's harder for an amateur to delight in the gameplay the same way, just because so much of it is happening. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. but it's a good point, Nate, but you know what I would tell somebody like that? Uh, go back and watch high stakes poker first then. Yeah. You know, I mean, because yeah. that's how I grew up in it, like in the sense of those characters you're talking about, which were great. And I watched all that stuff and kind of. Yeah. Got, but now I can appreciate, you know, Nikita Badzikowski and, you know, and the, and the guys who are just absolute killers. You know, obviously, Christoph Vogel saying I can appreciate that now because I kind of grew up enough and studied enough myself. Of course, I can't play like that and I don't really know what they're doing, but I can listen to Andrew and. And, and you guys have taught me about poker, you know, just, it, it makes a difference. Start there then, start with the characters if you want. There's plenty of, you know, opportunity to do that too, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes. No, that's good. That's good. Um, let's see where, how, where, how would you improve, go? like when you're watching, uh, uh, not, not to like name any names in particular, but you know, people doing commentary on, on poker, that the thing that you do have some experience with, how do you think that could be improved? Oh man. I was not, I don't, why was I not prepared for this question? question. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's pretty bad that I'm not ready for that. It's such a good question. You got me off guard, but I will say, um, what strikes me as, and, and I don't say this lightly because as Nate knows and has said, I'm not afraid to kind of, you know, tell it like it is. If I feel my opinion is, uh, you know, you know, strongly thought out. Um, I honestly think there are some fantastic poker commentators right now. Um, the state of the game in that sense is fent. And I mean the play-by-play guys, too. Like, for lack of a better term, play-by-play guys. The David Tuckmans, uh, Jeff Platt, um, you know, and the list goes on. I'm not trying to, you know, Lon McCarron. I'm not trying to, you know, minimize anyone. I think they're all great right now. I really do. And um, as a professional, even, I, I kind of try to study them. I think, honestly, David Tuckman is one of the best play-by-play people in any any outlet. 
whether sports uh, or he's, he's he's fantastic. He's, he's fantastic. Yeah, it's it's, it's I, I've. Uh, I've said on the show before that I think he's one of the most underrated people in poker and possibly oh. the single most underrated person in poker media, like like in the, the the quantity of work he does. And like what you do is hard. But like during the summer, at oh, least when there God. is a World Series, he's there like he takes the occasional day off. But very often it's five nights a week for what, eight hours. Like I mean, he does a lot at, at very high quality. Oh, Nate, I can't I couldn't agree more. I mean, honestly, it would be a dream for to someday do poker. I would love yeah. to. But, uh, Andrew, I do think one thing it, they do need, and I'm not speaking any, about anybody specifically, I think you do have to ramp up the, the drama a little bit. You do have to kind of, you know, kind of massage it along, you know, and not to fake it, not to force it. But, you know, at times when somebody is all in, let's go. Let's make it a little more passionate, you know. I mean, I know, the, you know, one of the things I know, a lot of diehard, you know, poker players, and you got a little jaded, if I can be honest, you know, it's like, <laughs> I understand that, like, you know, it's kind of rote, maybe, if it's ace-king versus pocket-queens. Yes, we're going to get the 30 bigs in late in the tournament. I get it. But make it, like, okay, maybe there's a guy watching or a woman watching for the first time, you know? Make it make it important, you know? Make it sing. And, and I think there's a little bit of that lacking sometimes because, obviously, we've all seen it a million times. You know, I mean, that is true. And it does, of course, become just part of the game. I get that. But, you know, not everybody watching Poker Go is a professional poker player, too. I mean, we got to remember these things, you know. And I, I I would love to just do it someday as the average guy who happens to love poker, yeah. if that makes sense, you know. And now the commentators and play-by-play, they're all great. I mean, Nick, Nick Shulman's fantastic. I mean, uh, no question. I mean, he he's he is legit. I don't care what you're doing. I don't care if you're doing basketball or football, whatever, soccer. This these guys are really good. And I mean, Jamie Kerstetter, phenomenal. You know, I mean, I don't. You know, she's just incredible. Yeah, she, yeah she's great. You know, and and I, I can listen to all these people, like you know, for, and I do. <laughs> so I guess <laughs> I guess it's good that they're really. So I do. I think the state of that is really good right now. But I would honestly, I know they like to say, well, we want, we don't want to talk down to people and they have, you know, they kind of feel like they have to like make sure they're not over explaining things because you're still broadcasting to a poker crowd, but let's get some passion into it again. I mean, there's nothing wrong with, you know, even if it's a little overblown, okay, if somebody's going to, you know, you know, mock it or criticize, so what you're broadcasting to more than, you know some critic on Twitter, who cares? You know, there's nobody's going to love you all the time, you know, bring some passion to it. Yeah. I mean, a, a different, a different angle on that might be like, even if it is obvious and, and utterly destined that people were going to bet $50,000 worth of tournament chips on a hand, yeah. they're still betting $50,000 yes. on the hand. So like, it's, <laughs> exactly. it's, still, it's still a lot of money, you know? Exactly. Like and, and what are they playing for too? I mean, we, I mean, we're talking about money that I can't even fathom when I'm playing poker, you know, I'm trying to win. Oh boy. I mean, I was in one of those quantums. First prize was 54 grand. I was like, Oh my goodness. Like that would be amazing. Of course. I mean, that's huge money, but I mean, we're talking about millions of dollars on the line. Some of these tournaments. So make people feel that. And and what do we do badly? How, how, how should this podcast improve? Oh, well, I'll be honest with you. This one I'm ready for because I thought about it. I've got a list for you, my friend. It's a much easier question. I'll direct you to to, to Appendix C. (laughs) (laughs) I thought Andrew might ask this one, actually. Um, I know this sounds crazy, and I know I've I've actually talked about people, you know, podcast, and this is my radio thing going, so you can throw this away if you just don't feel. 
I, not everybody looks at the show notes. Okay. Right. So if I'm driving around listening to podcasts, which is when I do quite often and listening to yours among many great poker podcasts that I listen to or a handful anyway, um, resetting. Yeah. And I know it, you know, and you guys know what that is, of course, but every now and again, just say who you're interviewing, who you're talking to, why they're here, whatever, you know, um, maybe reset, you know, people are doing a better job with like hand histories in that, in that sense for a while, it was hard to follow hands sometimes when you're listening to a podcast, you know, but I think everybody's doing a better job of that. But even when you're doing interviews or talking about other things, resetting is not the worst thing because occasionally I have to take a phone call when I'm in my car, you know, and I have to stop the podcast and then I want to get right back to it. But maybe it's an hour later, you know, and sometimes I don't even remember where I'm at in this, in that sense, you know, and I've done that before. Maybe it's just me, but I don't know if other listeners can relate. I've gone back to a podcast and said, who are they talking to again? I can't even, I don't even remember who this is, you know, and I understand, you know, show notes are great, of course, but not everybody can, you know, is going back through the show notes every time, you know, so maybe that's the one thing I might say and throw it, throw it away. If it just doesn't work, that's fine. Uh, That's useful. Like we, uh, that was feedback we got about hand histories a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, And we've heard that less about, sort of macro level stuff, but it's probably like very applicable. Also now 100%, two out of two uh, radio professionals have told us that uh, when they came on the show. So um, the first time I was tempted to dismiss it as a a difference in medium, like the first time I took it seriously, but I kind of thought like, Nobody's like flipping channels and then ending up on on minute 47 <laughs> of the show. But uh, uh, like nobody's jumping in in the middle or almost nobody. But people yep. are but people are, you know, arriving at their jobs, and then getting back in that afternoon and, yes. and distracted. I want to get right back to the podcast. That's what yeah. I you're, That's exactly right. I mean, yeah. it, that's probably the more common even than taking phone calls. I don't often talk on the phone in the car, but it's more about just having to go to a store. That's 40 minutes away. It's perfect for, you know, an hour and a half podcast, but I got to get back into it when I come back into the car, you know? So, I mean, look in radio, we're, we're beat over the head with that. So maybe it's just my path. Sure. I don't want to like, sure. you know, no, it's useful. It's useful. Uh, I, I asked for a reason. Yeah. Also, you, you live in Los Angeles. I don't believe you. If you say that you uh, only take phone calls sometimes in the car, <laughs> <laughs> I do want to be honest. I, 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 I now live back in Cleveland, Ohio, actually, or oh, Cleveland right. area. So yeah, I do uh, have moved back since my uh, little one was born. Uh, to be closer to family, but I did live in LA for 20 some years and I do understand why, and I still work there. So I'm there all the time, but I understand what you're talking about. Fantastic. Oh my gosh. I, I, I would much rather live in Cleveland. It's my, uh, Oh dudes, it's a great town. I mean, you know, I gotta be honest with you. It's, uh, who it's, you know, I'm not, I'm out of work currently because of the stoppages of all sports, of course. So, you know, I'm not getting a paycheck. It's a little bit easier to breathe in Cleveland. Than downtown <laughs> sure. Los Angeles. So, sure. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, can I be honest with you? I, I love what you guys, and again, not trying to, you know, sure. overstate it, but I mean, your interviewing skills, fantastic. So, I mean, that's a huge part of the medium, right? Any audio medium, whether it's radio or podcasting is interviewing. I think it's, a, it's such a hard skill and you guys are great at it. So that's, that's very kind. That's very kind. Thank you very much. Well, those it's- are the. You know. 8.30 p.m., our guest is LAFC commentator <laughs> Dave Denholm. Dave, what role should stats play in poker commentary? Should we have more discussion of VPIP, less discussion of VPIP? What are your thoughts? Oh, man, I think that's a, uh, I think it's kind of right where it should be. 
because uh, I'm trying to think about that from a guy who really wants to dig in at times with the stats, but also as a, as, as a lay person who doesn't know nearly as much as, you know, maybe you guys do certainly. And, and I don't study Pio solver. I don't get into, you know, solvers much, but I kind of just by osmosis and listening to you and listening to podcasts, I kind of know a little bit about them, but yeah, I, that's a great, I think th- there is a nice balance there. I think you can actually kind of incorporate them more, Andrew, as the buy-ins go up, if that makes sense. Like, you know, Honestly, as the buy-ins go up, I do kind of believe the audience somewhat goes down. I could be wrong on that. And again, I love watching the 100Ks and, you know, the one drop for a million dollars. But I think, you know, more accessible is the coverage of the 10Ks, you know, the main event, of course. And even on Poker Go, there's a lot more expensive. But I think you're probably better off relying on stats like that on the higher buy-ins, you know, the smaller fields. The real pros and the and, and you know and certainly some whales and amateurs who are you know the really good players now that are just, have come up through those hundred Ks and, and and things like that. But I think yeah, I think worrying about stats like that may be more prevalent needed in the in the higher buy-ins. Well, it's, I think we're nearly out of time here. That but it's uh, it's been a pleasure. We should have you back on someday. There's a whole bunch of stuff. I would like to ask you, but we don't have time for. Um, sure. Yeah, but it's 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 been a pleasure. You know, best of luck uh, with parenthood. Best of luck finding can work I, and getting back to work. Question? Sure. Um, recommendations for uh, popular culture that that you think really captures the, uh, or, I guess, what you like about soccer, what you would like more people to appreciate about soccer, mm. movies, TV shows, books, whatever. That's a good question. There's actually a, a good series that I'm not all the way through. Uh, you can find it streaming called Club de Cuervos. And uh, it's a, it's a kind of the story, and it's obviously fictional, and it's hilarious. It's about a, a Mexican league soccer team. Hilarious. I mean, it's very comical, so it's not certainly 100% accurate, but very funny. The documentary recently on Maradona, I mean, just fabulous work from HBO there. Just I mean, anyone would appreciate that movie, uh, whether you, you know, and I didn't even know a lot of the stuff that was in that movie. So, and I thought I knew. So, fantastic there. But I'll be honest with you, it's missing in a lot of ways, other than watching games, because in America, you can probably watch more soccer than in any other country in the world. We have so many leagues and so many games streaming here. You may want to just watch the games themselves, you know, and just kind of go for it that way, because... There haven't been a lot of great movies. Victory, if you want to go back a ways, fantastic movie. Um, Sylvester Stallone in it. Pele was in it. Yeah, it's a little cheesy at times, but it's kind of cool going back and seeing that movie after many years. Uh, I would recommend that. And I would be remiss, fellas. It's not soccer, but could I give a book recommendation? Yes. I, I love. I mean, I love what you guys do. Um, I want to recommend the book uh, by Christine Lunin's Caging Skies. And people will probably know it from because it's the influence that was that led to the recent movie Jojo Rabbit, obviously Oscar nominated. Uh, I happened to see Jojo Rabbit, but I wanted to read the book first before I saw the movie. So I picked that book up uh, a while ago, several months ago. Uh, Fantastic. And what I love about it compared to the movie is it's one of the few instances where I love both the movie and the book, but they are very different. I mean, to say it's influenced by the book is 
yeah, maybe true, but if if you've seen Jojo Rabbit, read the book and vice versa. I, I love them both, which is oftentimes not the not the case, but they're so different. So I would highly recommend the book Caging Skies. All right. Thanks. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks so much, David. It's great to meet you. You guys are the best. Keep up the great work. I'm a diehard fan, as you now know, certainly. Uh, Love listening. Keep it up. Same to you. Be in touch. Come back on the show someday. Thank you. I would love that. Have a good night. Bye. of a car the fair passage of a bill and who will sign us into law I know you won't